is Adam. We had the opportunity to talk with Braden and Zach of Science over Zoom video. Braden was born and raised just north of Sacramento, California, and ended up attending school in San Luis Obispo, later moving to San Francisco and then Los Angeles, where Zach was born in Los Angeles but raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he came back to California to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo as well, and that's where he met Braden and science form they both moved to san francisco together and then down to la where they're currently living but we heard about both their careers in music how they got into music how they got into electronic music how they started writing electronic music having a lot of success on one of their first songs they've released called we won't leave you and has now has like 12 million plays and hearing them talk about how they had to navigate with the success of this one song doing so so well they talk about where they were when COVID happened and how that was an opportunity for them to kind of regroup as, as a duo, build a new team around them. Now they have new music coming out. They talk all about that and some big festivals that they'll be performing at in the next few months. You can watch our interview with Braden and Zach of Science on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bring It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with science. This podcast is about you both in your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new uh, stuff coming out with science. Perfect. Sounds good. Sweet. Uh, first off, uh, where were you both born and raised? Um, so I was born in, well, actually I was born in California, um, in LA, but I've lived my, I lived my whole life up until college in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. And I went back to California for college and that's actually where Braden and I met at, um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, so just a couple hours North of LA. Sure. And, and uh, now we both live in LA. Okay. So you were born in LA and then you moved, how old were you when you moved to New Mexico? I, uh, I was too young to remember exactly, but I think it was like two or two or three or something like that. Okay. So I was, I was young. Oh, right on. What about you, Braden? Born in LA? No, I wasn't. I've been born and raised in California my whole life though. I was born in a town called Woodland, which is like 10 minutes away from Sacramento, roughly closer okay. to Davis. Sure. Um, and then lived there my whole life. Once Cal Poly, lived in San Francisco, moved to LA. So I've been just about everywhere except like San Diego, I think is the last one I got to check off in terms of living in California. <laughs> That's where I'm born and raised, San Diego. Oh, dude, I love San Diego. <laughs> eventually we'll get there, eventually. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, I was born and raised there. I spent a little time in San Francisco as well. Um, but awesome. So now you're both in LA. But um, Zach, how did you get to music? You know, I've just kind of been into music my whole life. Um, did uh, I like played guitar in school? We had like a lot of music programs in the middle school and high school I went to, mm -hmm. and um, kind of was off and on in like random little crappy bands. But uh, kind of fell away from it from the end of high school, and then come like freshman year of college, I sort of just like discovered electronic music. It was actually more like senior year of high school, but I discovered electronic music and kind of just like the new wave of like EDM that was kind of really popular around like 2011, 2012, like that frame. And it just kind of was taking over in like the college world as well. So I just sort of got really obsessed with it and with how to make it and producing and engineering, mixing, mastering, like all that stuff. So I uh, kind of just fell into, fell in love with it and hasn't, haven't fallen out of love with it since then. 
<laughs> right on. What was, did you pick up guitar first? What was your first instrument? Yeah, I mean, guitar was definitely the first instrument I played with. I, like, kind of stopped playing it for a big chunk of my life, and, like, now I, you know, dabble with it when we produce, like, to use it in our songs. Um, mm -hmm. and now I play a little bit of piano and keys uh, as well, mainly just for producing purposes. Um, and I like to think I, like, like, like the computer is basically my best instrument. Like I can, you know, pretty much do whatever I want with the computer and make mm -hmm. something sound like it's an instrument. Uh, so that's kind of what I've focused most of my attention on these days just because we're cranking out so much music. Sure. Is that a Tom DeLonge guitar back there on the right? It's um close, close. It's a Mark Hoppus bass. Actually. Oh, it's a Mark Hoppus bass. Okay. I couldn't see how many strings were on it. Yeah. Uh, but I remember when they put those out. Uh, it looked similar, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. the hop is bass, man. I like that. Yeah, I uh, I do like. I guess I kind of play bass too, but um, not aggressively. Right on, right on. Okay, what about you, Brayden? How'd you get into music? Um, well, speaking of Mark and Tom, Blink One Eighty Two is a huge reason I like music. So that's kind of how me and Zach bonded initially. I hope Mark's doing better too. Still crazy. I heard he's it. done with chemo. I did. He's read done that with too. it. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah, that's gonna. If that, uh, I hope he makes it. That would be tragic. Um, but yeah, originally I got into music. I played trombone in like third grade for a couple of years and then they switched band teachers and the new band teacher was psycho. So I was like, I hate music. I'm going to just only focus on sports. Basically like hated music for a while. Then my dad showed me Blink-182 and some other bands that were similar. And I kind of got back into it. Your dad then, showed uh, you Blink-182? Dude, my dad had some good music taste. He was kind of all over the place. But yeah, he got me into like a bunch of like just kind of like alternative rock stuff starting with blink but awesome. um what, then what i got blink like more record? into the which blink record yeah anima of the state or was um it i want to say it was dude ranch actually there you go that's awesome I, I feel like damn it was the first song where i was like whoa this is so cool um i don't know why <laughs> that's um bad. yeah and then so i got out of music and like really hated it like refused to take piano lessons i like my parents like tried to get me to try guitar and I like did it for a second. I was like, I really rather just play sports. Then guitar hero and like rock band came out mm -hmm. and weirdly enough, they kind of got me like reignited into like playing something, even though it's not the same. And when rock band came out, it was the first one to have the drum set. And so I started playing that and I was like, Oh my God, this is so much more fun than like guitar and stuff. So I it convinced my dad to get me a drum set, like a real one started doing that. My brother had been playing guitar for a while. We started a band in high school that lasted for like roughly a year and then it kind of broke up or whatever. And then I went to college and then in college, obviously you can't bring your drum set to your dorm. So sure. for, for a while I would like rent out this room at like, essentially it's a guitar center type competitor, but like a local shop. And mm -hmm. I would rent an hour of time, go play drums just to like try to get it in. But it wasn't the same, obviously. Cause like I'd be like really, I had to take the bus out there. There was no Uber at the time. It was just inconvenient. And then I joined a fraternity and then I noticed people were DJing and it kind of reminded me of when I used to perform as a drummer, but obviously different. So I was like, okay, at least I could like learn how to DJ and keep performing, even though it's not drums. And I could all at least get my performance like juices flowing, which is like really what I like about music the most is performing. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that connected with Zach. He started showing me like things he was doing. And I think it was logic at the time. And we tried like recreating Blink-182 music in like electronic music production software. And it was very bad. Um, but then we eventually discovered electronic music like Zach mentioned. And that's when we started dabbling in that space. Um, you know, I DJed a few more years. Zach got good at producing for a few more years. And then eventually after a set at Coachella, specifically a Zed set, we were like, okay, we should actually make a project. Let's figure out how to do that specifically. 
let's you know start making music that's in that realm and you know see what happens and that was kind of how we started the project and we started teaching each other what we were good at and now it's been six to eight years or something i don't even know at this point wow okay yeah it's it's been like it's been a long time since we like told ourselves let's do it but i really feel like it didn't become a more like legitimate pursuit until we both moved to la which was in like the end of 2017 early 2018 um so like i technically i think we could like we could say the birth of science is like yeah like six seven years old eight years old but um i think realistically i like to think it's more like from when we were both in la like actually somewhat pursuing it at a professional like degree so it's been about like four years okay yeah, did you both go to a college? lot of milestones like that so it's hard to pick the starting point but i agree with that yeah we uh we both went to cal poly san luis obispo we actually both right. did engineering there um oh, okay we, yeah, we graduated in like 2015 2016 yeah we met in a science class our freshman year first quarter that's partially where the science name came from it was chemistry 124 i think yeah okay. and we uh i had a we met a mutual friend in the class and just like studied for the final together and then realized we had the same taste in music and stuff and that was when we dabbled in blink 182 and tried to recreate it and the rest is history so right on and then you mo- both moved to la to what continue doing science together yeah our our uh, first manager we ever had who she was a great above us at school she was in la and she was working at um i believe it was wme or 360 i can't remember one of the like management companies mm-hmm. out here and she ended up she quit working there and decided to start her own like management just by herself and we were like kind of her main clients uh and you know she had just been pretty you know adamant that we should move to LA cuz that's just where you're going to get sessions you're going to meet people network like it's where electronic music is like big so mm-hmm. um we were both in SF actually after college uh living together just for a year and then I made the plunge to LA first and Braden uh, followed behind like a few months later um and then you know we just started just working out here um so were you doing uh, music in San Francisco? Yeah, yeah, we were we were still doing it. Um, that Braden, a lot of our friends moved to SF after college, and I actually went to um, Peermind. It's like a music production school out there for a little bit, uh, and kind of used that year after college as sort of like you know how some people like go study abroad or go do something. Right. Did it as like I want to get like super super good at making music, um, and then you know pursue it as a career. So that's kind of what was the the formula we followed. And then once we got to LA, um, yeah, Braden has been, you know, he has a job like outside of science and as do I. And so luckily our jobs were just able to get us to LA and we were able to kind of like pursue science while we were still maintaining our other jobs that we needed. That's live. cool. Yeah, yeah. And when you get to LA, when does, when do you put out your first song together? Like as science, when is science like officially a, like a thing? Actually, I think it was in San Francisco. We put out the record, um, We Won't Leave You. So that's like to date still our most streamed song on Spotify. It's also Mm -hmm. like our oldest song on Spotify. But um, we kind of landed that in that period right after college when we were in San Francisco. And then we've just been trying to kind of like consistently put out music since then. Um, So, yeah, 27. Yeah, we pretty much we put that one out. We had put out like remixes and stuff before on like SoundCloud or whatever. But it was part Mm -hmm. of that like up and coming phase of like even figuring out what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And then we randomly came across um, a collaborator on, we won't leave you that wanted to put out an original with us. And so we did that. And that was basically our first original, if not our first original. And it like blew up because of a variety of things. And we were just not prepared. Like we barely had a business plan. We had no branding really. 
we kind of had the name. We weren't even necessarily sold on the name at the time. So it was like, <laughs> it's, it's great that it did so well, but it's like, it just happened so early that we were like, what the hell are we going to do with this momentum? We did yeah. get a festival out of it at one point, but even then it was still like, what is next? Like we, I think we had maybe one finished song probably wasn't that good. I don't even remember. So yeah, we were it was a weird time in our career. We just like yeah. weren't sure what to do with it. And then now if it happened again, we'd know exactly what to do. I feel like, but th at, back then we were like, what the hell's going on? So yeah, we were just really naive of how the industry worked. And also we didn't have a team in place. Like we didn't have an agent. We didn't have a lawyer. We didn't have, I mean, we had, I guess, management, but our management at the time was also kind of new to the whole game. So it was just right. like, much like, you know, what do we do? But, and it was one girl versus right now we have a team on our, on the management side from big night. Like they're a full on organization. So like they can help do a lot beyond just being your manager. So it's like, that would have been nice back then, but oh well. You learn. So, so tell me about how this song blew up. Was it like you put it up online and then woke up the next morning and well, it had so a the, bunch of plays? Somebody share yeah, it. The collaborator was a guy. a guy named Steve Void, and he had a pretty big following at the time. Um, and he's actually based out in the Netherlands. And at the time, like spot because Spotify was based out there, he just had a lot of like connections and people at Spotify he knew. And the song just got playlisted like none other. I mean, I think to the date it's in like. 300,000 playlists like on Spotify. So yeah, it's just like gotten so <laughs> Oh man. And then on top of that, it got like New Music Friday in like 30 countries. It was it ended up being on like the viral charts. I think it peaked at like number 24 globally. Yep. That's right. Um so it just like got a ton of love from the DSPs and you know, when a song gets that kind of love and it's a good record, it just, you know, it gets a lot of streams and a lot of people hear it. Um, but yeah, we were the collaborators on it. So we're like the second build. So I think, you know, Steve Void definitely got the the brunt of the exposure, I think, initially. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, at the very least, what it enabled us to do is when we came to L.A., we, you know, we had a song that like a writer who's, you know, somewhat talented could look at and be like, oh, like these guys actually, you know, have potential to to reach a bigger audience. So they're more willing to work with us. And I think that. Yeah, you kind of you're validated a bit when it yeah. when it you had a like a mark on your resume so you wouldn't just go down there and they're like who the hell are these two dudes exactly it was a door opener it was like our first little like okay like pay attention like these guys can do some things good at least right and then we got tons of like the the butterfly effect in music and building your career is so hilarious like how from that one moment and even the moments that led up to that like where it brought us today and like what connections it built and who it introduced us to or whatever it's just really wild so even if it's not like, you know, we didn't capitalize it super well, there are still trickle effects since then that have contributed from that. So it's like not the end of the world. But yeah, working with Steve was interesting. That guy's a businessman. That guy's a huge label entity set of playlists. I mean, that guy just pushes stuff like no other. So it was very eye-opening to work with him. So once you move down to LA, like, uh, do you start getting sessions? Like, what what do you do next? Or are you trying to follow up that, that first song or? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, like not gonna lie just sort of like we didn't really know like we we straight up were just so naive how the music industry works like like looking back like what we know now and how how involved we are in every aspect of our of our brand and of the industry like i think it was just sort of like we just kind of thought hey let's go down to la and just keep making music and hopefully things will fall into place like that was basically the attitude mm -hmm. um and so yeah we basically just went down our manager helped us collaborate and set up some sessions. Um, I, I started to become friends with other people in the industry, other writers and top liners, people who make vocals, started just like making a bunch of demos and songs. I did a couple of like writing retreats where I would go off for like a weekend or a week or something with a big group of writers and producers and we just like make a bunch of music. 
Um, and, you know, slowly but surely, we kept pursuing science, kept, you know, figuring out remixes, trying to play shows, trying to release records, trying to work with labels. It probably took us, like, two years from that moment to, like, legitimately have good enough music to where the labels that we were sending our music finally started responding, like, oh, hell yeah, like, we'd love to sign this. And once that happened, it, it was sort of like, it went from nothing, like, every label not, not wanting it or not responding to, like, every label we were sending to being interested. So that, I remember that, wow. that shift specifically happened in like 2019, I think, or 2018, somewhere in there. So it took about a year after We Won't Leave You, that song for it to like, for us to kind of get back to a more building place where, okay, now we've got some legitimate entities who are willing to like put out science records. Um, you know, they were, and they're all, they were all like YouTube labels, right? So all of the like, like proximities and seeking blues and uh, trap nation lily palace like that stuff mm -hmm. so we kind of just started there as do like a lot of up-and-coming electronic acts just trying to get momentum you know and try to build an audience mm -hmm. and with your uh style of music and and everything being so like you know focused on it like live shows right i mean you you dj parties it's it's big events and with all that kind of coming to a like a stop and a halt in the beginning of 2020, once you get momentum, I mean, it sounds like in 2019, you're getting all this label interest and people are really excited. And then that whole like world kind of stops. Yeah. Like, what was that like? I mean, honestly, that like benefited us in a weird, weird way. Cause like going pre COVID, we were getting interest in these labels that Zach mentioned, but again, we, at this point, our, our manager had left the industry entirely. She completely switched her career path. So we were fully independent. We had literally no team whatsoever. Um, and so we were kind of having to like rethink how we were going to go about things. So we started really figuring out, okay, what's our style of music going to be like, what's going to be the signature science sound, what's going to be our actual brand. Um, you know, what is, what is the look and feel of science going to be? What is the story we're telling? What is the science brand mean to our listeners, anything, anything like that. That's what we started thinking about right at the end of 2019, pretty much at this point, we had a good, decent sized collection of music. We had started to finish up. Um, so we were kind of holding on to that, trying to figure out how we wanted to go about getting that music out and what the best strategy was to get that music into the world. Did it sound like science, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, as that happened, then COVID hits and like the whole music industry goes on halt. And so for us, we were like, okay, great. This gives us more time to think, more time to strategize, more time to build this team and this brand, plus make a bunch more music so that when COVID ends or when we feel we're ready, we can just attack the industry with tons of music, this whole new look and feel, whatever it may be. And so right, basically right when COVID hit, we had been talking with um, this guy, Tuheen Roy, who at the time was the senior vice president of digital ventures at Universal Music. He wow. randomly found us because his daughter had found our music on Spotify and showed it to him. And he was a huge fan and he's historically been a producer, then moved into the corporate world. And he kind of wanted to bring us on as like a passion project where he advised us today. He's our co-manager, which I'll get to, but that was kind of how that relationship started. So when COVID hit, he started getting more involved in helping prep us and figure out what paths we can take to grow the project. Around that time, a good friend of mine, D-Rock, introduced us to Tim Benito from Big Night Talent who um, they now manage us. And so that relationship started. We showed them the music we were working on, explained the vision. They then brought us on as I think their fourth act. Um, from there, Tim Benito, our manager, introduced us to Lee Anderson from Paradigm, which is now was, was then acquired by Wasserman. So on the agent side, uh, Lee and then Len Chenfield, both were super stoked on the music we we're going to be putting out. It fit right into their artist roster. They signed us on on the agency side. 
again, there weren't really shows going on yet, but they were kind of there to bring us on and develop us and get us into the show space and touring, things like that. And then from there, we brought on a lawyer. And then fast forward to now, it's like we have this huge team. So pre-COVID, we had literally no one. <laughs> Post-COVID, we have like a circus of, we have co-management, we have agency, we have lawyer. And then on top of that, we signed with Neil Jacobson from Hallwood Media, specifically for our individual production careers. So separate from science, if we produce a song and Ariana Grande releases it, you know, it's not a science track, but we still get credit. Mm -hmm. Neil Jacobson essentially manages things like that. So while it does help science, he's focused on uh, like producer cuts and syncs. So it's like that this whole awesome. circus of people came out of nowhere. And again, that's, I honestly think a lot of that had to do with the fact that when COVID hit, we were able to slow things down, focus on really defining science, our sound, our brand, et cetera. And then through that, we got attention from all these various people that wanted to hop on the ship and, and help grow us and, and blow us up ideally. So yeah, COVID benefited us in a weird way. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like you're able to like regroup and really build the team around you. And now you have the team and the music. You have a new record coming out, right? Today. Yeah, it just came out actually today. <laughs> oh, um, today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we, we have, we're in the middle of an EP with um, Create. We decided to just kind of put out some music um, on a slightly more independent route. Uh, in the meantime, while we're dealing with trying to figure out like the future, it's super weird with the, with like where we're at and like with all any artists, like you're basically like whatever's currently happening, like real, real time. Your, your head is like months and months in the future always, right? You're never mm -hmm. really like absorbing and focusing on what's currently happening because that's just sort of how you build projects and build momentum is you like have to consistently put out music. Ideally, like, you know, like a song a month is probably a pretty good path to try to get on. But, mm -hmm. you know, in order to make that happen, if you, if you want to be working with like labels and, you know, bigger entities, um, you just have to be planning the future. So, um, so yeah, so the EP is currently, we're, we're, we're this summer, basically we're doing an EP called bass pop and, um, we're in the sec today was the second song from that EP was released. And then we've got that's another, hate me. Like you love me. Yes. Hate me. Like you love me. Uh, okay. Featuring, uh, Jake Newmar, our buddy mm -hmm. on the vocals. And, uh, and then November, we've got another single, I'm sorry, October, we've got another single. And then in November, the rest of the EP will drop, which will be two more songs. So it's like five total songs. And, uh, yeah. And then from there, we're just planning out like releases after that, like maybe December, January, February, March, April, like just, you know, never stops. So you were working on music, uh, I would imagine throughout the whole pandemic. Yeah, pandemic, like Brayden said, it was it was just a good time. I think really what it was is like um, we were very much like right before pandemic, we were super focused on like we need to play more shows like we, we mm -hmm. have music that comes out. It streams decently well, but we're not growing on socials in part because we think that like getting someone to stream something and then go follow the person because of the music is a little bit harder than like when you go to a show and you really have a good time and then you like look up that person because you're like, they, they were so cool. And then you're right. like, oh, and, and we just have, just from the industry and the people we've talked to, we just know that like, it's really hard to build and develop an act without the touring side of things or the live side of things, especially in electronic music where you're like a D DJ, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, we were like heavily just like, how do we play more shows? How do we get on these tours? How do we open for these artists? Like, what are we doing wrong? We didn't have an agent at the time. And um, I think the beauty of COVID is that that like 
part of the equation just like disappeared for a year. So no one had to worry about it and we didn't have to worry about it. So we just focused all of our energy on the music and growing there. And so, yeah, we were able to crank out like, you know, 15 songs in the pandemic, wow. and, like just, and they were all really good and build our team as Braden said, which was all kind of just coincidental. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, and then now that COVID's over we, and we have an, an actual legit agent now, like the whole live thing is much more clear as to like our path and like where we're mm -hmm. heading, and what we're trying to accomplish with that and what we need in order to make that, you know, start to take off more. So it's sure. I mean, it looks like you guys teed yourself up pretty nicely for, you know, with the records coming out and then you have Beyond Wonderland you're playing and then other, you know, Hydrix is another huge thing going on, right? With, uh, yeah. In Philadelphia. I know, yeah, the Philly show. I mean, the, the names on the, I mean, Lewis the Child, the Alice in Wonderland and Lenny. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, Both yeah, of the great. shows. I mean, obviously Beyond Wonderland has just been a thing that has crushed it for a few years now but I hadn't even heard of the other one and the names on it. And I'm like, Whoa, these are some, yeah, it's a newer acts. festival. I think the first one they did was like 2016 and it's, they have like, they have a very almost cult like following of fans. I mean, they are like diehard hijinks fans, the people that support that festival. And I think like Grizz has pretty much done it almost every year. I know Skrillex has done it before. So mm -hmm. they, they have a very, they get really good acts. So I've heard really good things about it. We've never been obviously cause it's Philadelphia, but that one will be fun. And then we have one more actually the day after that just hasn't been announced yet that we're playing. So it'll be a hectic end of the year for us, but it's crazy. Cause like if you would have picked any of these shows, uh, the festivals, or even like we were just on tour support for Zed and Wheaton, like if you would have told us we were oh, playing wow. any of those shows a year ago, they individually, all those would have been our biggest show ever. And now there's like, you know, eight of them over the next like five, the last two and next three months. So it's like so crazy that that's all happening again. It's like part of that change that happened for us, not because of COVID, but during COVID to an extent. So, so wow. you toured with you opened for Zed on like recently in Boston. Yeah, that was weeks ago. two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, uh, at Big Night Live. So that's just like a big concert venue in Boston, just like in the heart of Boston, pretty much. Yeah, that was with Zed and then Lodato. That was a good one. Yeah, we were direct. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, so Zed has, first show Zed also had... worked with uh, Lee Anderson, who's our agent. So naturally, and then our music's similar-ish, right? So it's a natural fit. And the, the timing worked out. Our management's out in Boston. So the show just was, it was a perfect setup for everybody involved, basically. It was super fun, too. That's really a, good isn't crowd. Zed from, isn't he live in San Diego? No, LA. No, LA. He's oh, moving LA. to Encino, which is the Valley. Or he's considering moving to Encino. I don't know if it's official. But yeah, he's in LA. Right now he's in Japan, though doing like a big show, I think with Steve Aoki and Alan Walker or something like that. So, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I Guys mean, all over the place. <laughs> you're probably playing with some of like, I mean, you're obviously playing with the legends of, of EDM, especially on what, uh, Wonderland. I mean, that one's got everybody on it, right? Yeah. I mean, Zed yeah. was the guy we saw at Coachella that set we referenced. We were like, Oh, we should do this. I mean, it was, Zed. Oh yeah. So like the fact that we that played together. with them was like so weird. It's like very surreal, like full circle moment. You know what I mean? Sure. So. Did you tell him about that? Um, I don't know if we haven't told him our agent when we signed with Lee, cause Lee obviously went through his roster and stuff. When he said that we're like, dude, fun fact, like after we saw Zed, we like decided to like be more serious. Also my first, my first ever electronic show I saw was Zed Skrillex, which is also Lee's act. And then Porter Robinson uh, in slow at this like small, like 500 person venue. Whoa. So again, another like portion of that full circle. It's like the first guy I ever saw same team. Now it's just super weird. But uh, yeah, most people know that now because we've 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 told the story before. This isn't our first time. I don't right. know if Anton knows though. I don't think he does. 
at some point we need to tell him though. <laughs> you should. Sure. That's that's crazy. I mean, yeah, some sure of his friends know because some of his friends had asked me questions when we were, we were all hanging out in Vegas once, and I told them. But I don't know if he knows. Zach, does he know? Do you know? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about like a busy guy. Like I, he's got so much going on. I don't think he can like comprehend like half the things that we we talk about when we're talking because he's like. <laughs> <laughs> but he Loki has a pretty good memory compared to what I would have expected. Like he, there's oh, yeah, little things he picks fine. up I on, just, and I just think it's like yeah. when we're post show, like drinking in a green room. It's like those aren't the times where you're gonna remember everything. Yeah, I definitely didn't tell him in the green room. But, uh, <laughs> that is awesome. On. So the EP is coming out at the end of the year, and you've got all these you know big big festivals, big shows coming up. That's exciting. It is. Yep. Yeah. And, and then we're already planning for 2022. Yeah, so we've got we'll a bunch more music we're planning to release um, next year and really excited about those records more more so than the ones coming out now just because they're newer and to us they're better and like they're just feel like they have a better shot at reaching a bigger audience. So we're mm -hmm. excited about that. That's typical. Pretty much you're always going to think your newest is the best. And right. if it's not, you're doing it wrong, honestly. Like, you shouldn't be putting out music that's worse, I feel like. It's like, uh, <laughs> you're like, well, this one sucks better. compared to my others. Let's put it yeah, out. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> like, you got to be evolving, hopefully in a positive way, at least for your own artistic vision. You can't please everybody. But Is it hard to kind of sit on songs? Like, you talked about having 15 songs <laughs> done over the yeah, you know, yeah. course of COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely challenging. It's like, that's why I was kind of trying to allude to that with, like, your brain is always thinking, like, six months ahead, and you're always... Right. And you're also simultaneously like sort of counting on the success from six months ahead. Like, so it's like you're, you know, you're waiting because you're like, oh, well, this is going to lead to this, which is going to lead to this. And hopefully that leads to this. But that isn't going to, we're not even going to know if that happens for another six months, you know? So it is, it is a frustrating thing, but it's just the nature of the world we're in. So you just kind of have to live with it. Um, but yeah, specifically with music, it is tough. Although I will say it's less tough when you know the records are good. Like when it's a, when it's a good record and it still feels good for like months and months and months, you know you have like something special. And I think like this is probably the first time in our careers where we have like four of those and we're like, okay, like these are all really good. So we're like excited to put those out. And, you know, it just gives us more time once we lock in like releases with those to like focus on trying to one up them, you know, and just constantly like get better and – I think every artist like kind of has that voice in their head that just gets more and more picky as they grow. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's pretty hard. I actually think at this point to make a record that isn't at least as good, if not better. And at least the things we can control, which is like production and engineering and stuff. So I think right now, like with a lot of acts like ours in the kind of like pop electronic space is that we, you know, we rely heavily on top lines and like really good writers and songwriters and stuff. Um, cause that's not necessarily Braden and I's forte, right? We definitely collaborate and help out, but you know, the vast majority of our, of our records that, um, that we have and we're sitting on now, we kind of took from a top line and turned it into a science record, you know? Um, mm -hmm. so that's kind of been like our formula recently, which is, you know, it's a great formula. Yeah. It definitely works. But and to add to that, it's like the, uh, the toughest part for me actually is like, you know, most of the music we put out has probably been finished for close to a year or maybe nine months on the low end. Every now and then there's an, there's an outlier, but it's like, it's like with that amount of time, you know, and us just trying to make sure we're like, our music's good and blah, blah, blah. Any song that comes out, I've probably heard it like a hundred times on mm -hmm. the low end, like maybe as high as like 500, no joke. I mean, cause it's been there for so long, constantly like critiquing our own music, like seeing what we could do better or whatever. So for me, it's always tough. Cause it's like, when the song finally comes out, it's like, dude, I've heard this so many times. Like even <laughs> think of your favorite songs, 
you, you get sick of them eventually where you can't listen to them all right. the time. So it's like such a strange feeling where it's like, I'm stoked for the song to come out, but I'm almost like, yeah, I don't really want to listen to it though. I've heard it right. many times. So you have to like kind of cr- get your brain wired to understand, like you may not love it anymore. Like when you first made it, but you need to remember how it made you feel those first 20 to 30 times or whatever you heard it and how stoked you were and realize that majority of people that hear it are going to have that same feeling if they like it. Obviously you've just heard it so many damn times that you're, you're more focused on these songs coming out in six months. And then six months later, the cycle repeats. Itself. Right. The cycle so, continues. It's you just got to like... train your brain to like understand like, <laughs> dude, you're not going to be in love with it the same way you were probably every now and then there's songs that honestly do last about that long. It's rare. And those ones are usually our best anyway, but you just got to be patient with yourself and not be too hard, you know, six months later, for example. So sure. So like, I mean, for like the song that came out today, I, I was listening to, I didn't realize that it came out actually today. I was listening to it earlier and you're probably like, you think that's good. Just wait till you hear the, you know, this every time, one. almost every time. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And I actually do that. This one in particular, I, I still haven't really gotten sick of it too. Um, or not sick, sick of it's aggressive, but like, I still listen to it pretty much like as if I did the first time you made it. So this one is one of the few ones we've made where I never really got over it for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, it's, it's still, I still am looking forward to those four Zach mentioned that are probably going to be 2022, okay. um, more than this one. Cause I think they're just better and they're progressing our sound more and just more yeah. in line with where we're going kind of thing. But I still love this one. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little less critical, I think, of our more like I I can listen to our stuff pretty much, I think, forever and still really like it. So I I'm the kind of guy, though, that like like I still listen to the same few handful of like electronic songs that got me into making music like to this day, which was like in 2010 or 2009. Right. So like I definitely might I guess, you know, everyone's ears are different. And I think that's. This is like a microcosm of what's great about like me and Bray's like partnership is we we definitely do have different views on stuff and different strengths, but it ends up being like the perfect like yin yang for to get the best result out of science, you know? So it's like for me, like we basically crossed a threshold in my mind of like we got to a certain point, probably like a little bit over a year ago where our music just started to sound really good. Like it was like, mm-hmm. it was like okay, now it's like we've we've hit that line of like we we make good music now. So I once we cross that, pretty much everything we come we've finished to completion, I still really like and I could still listen to like every day and not get sick of it or like get like, you know, bored of it. Um but you know, obviously, yeah, you listen to something a hundred times over a week, it's you know, and then you don't for like six months listen to it again, it's probably gonna feel better than if yep. you're always listening to it. But um we listen to so much music anyway that it's like I you just don't even have the time to listen to the same song more than once that much in a day because it's like I'm listening to so much other stuff and like working on so many things. So I also for sure have ADD, dude. Like if you look at our playlist, Zach, that I update or whatever, there's only like five songs on there that came out before July, 2021. Like once it's been there for two months, I'm like, okay, I've heard it enough. And then I move on. Plus I'm just like, I'm a SoundCloud junkie and a release radar junkie. So it's like, I'm constantly like, what is the next new song I'm going to be obsessed with for two weeks? So my, my listening habits are super ADD for sure. Yeah. And also when you listen to something a lot, like you hear it in different ways too. Like you, you focus on different elements of the song. You pick up on things you didn't pick up on before because like, especially like being a producer and an engineer and having like trained ears towards like really hyper focusing on sound. Like I, there's songs even for like from years ago that I listened to and I'm like, oh wow. Like I never even noticed like this little thing or this little part or Mm -hmm. whatever. 
And I think that's what's really cool about our music is we do a lot of like in-depth like layering and like little tiny atmospheric like ear candy things that sometimes aren't like the way we mix it. It's not like on the forefront of the song. So when you first hear it as like a listener, there's already so much going on that you're like, you don't really hear those little things. But as time goes on, you start to pick up on it and it's like, it's cool. It's like, um you know, it's like a little treasure chest of like on every time you keep listening to it, you find like little, little things that are different. So I love that. That's amazing. It's like, yeah, if you hear a song with headphones on or different, like then yeah. you really like hear like, oh, I didn't even realize that there was this little acoustic guitar in the background or whatever it is. But yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear these. I like the songs that you put out so far. So I can't wait to hear these these next ones. It sounds like it's, it's only going to get better. So it's awesome. Lots to come. Lots to come. Very cool. And I appreciate you both doing this today. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah, man. yeah I appreciate you, man. It's a good I time. Have one more question for you both. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much advice. So I actually, I didn't really mention this, but I run um, my like job outside of science is I run an online music production school for like bedroom. Oh, rad. Actually. So like I literally, all I do every day other than science is like teach people who were us you know five six years ago how to become like or how to at least get on the path of what we're doing um so that that is literally what i do all the time so i mean i we have this course that's like a eight you know a year-long program so that's i mean it's intense there's a lot you need to know if you really want to be successful in this industry but i think like overall the biggest piece of advice is just to like if you're really into it and you're really passionate about it to just not slow down and not give up like no matter how much like hardships and like no's you get like mm -hmm. we, we've been rejected by every single label like i'm not even joking like any every label you can think of we've sent a song to it and they've either ignored us or rejected it um and we've also not gotten so many shows that we thought we should get we've you know not been able to connect with so many people that we thought we should be able to connect with there's you get so many more no's than yeses in the music industry but getting those few yeses and keep pushing through really like makes it worth it and you know you will grow as long as you make good shit and you like put it out consistently and you care and you like you know interact with your fans eventually things will start to go your way it just like takes time i mean we've we've been grinding i mean you know i've been grinding for 10 years like making music we've been grinding mm -hmm. for science for like four years and uh we're just now i think starting to like find our lane and, and, you know, execute on like a more legit level. Um, so it just takes time. Yeah. Right. And I would say that's obviously spot on. The only other thing I would add is don't sleep on the power of community or networking or your network or whatever it may be. I think technically I'm sure it's possible to be a lone wolf and do everything on your own, figure everything out on your own and get to the point you want to be in your career solo. But the power of working with others, you know, leveraging and sharing resources, sharing knowledge, sharing experiences is so powerful. Um, there's a lot, there's like three different types of communities you should focus on. First would be like people that are above you. So try to find like a mentor or someone that can help kind of drag you through the mud so you can avoid things that really slow you down. You know, for example, there may be someone that's got a couple years experience on you and you know, you may be close to working with a label and they could say, dude, I've, I'm experienced. I know that this label is not going to treat you well. Trust me, don't do it. That's just one of a million examples that someone more experienced than you can help you with. Finding a mentor is difficult. You got to like already kind of build a relationship and have them be willing to spend time with you. But in the long run, it can also benefit them as well. Because if you really blow up and you start getting resources they don't have, then you're able to pay it forward to them. 
The second one and my favorite is kind of people that are right on that same level as you. Um, you know, whether, you know, the same level means their skill level, their follower size, whatever it may be, people that are going through it at the same time as you. Um, so you guys can work together. Typically, those are going to be people you collaborate with, share resources with, um, and really build very strong relationships with. You kind of come up together in the industry, right? Um, those people are actually an example of that is the guy that introduced us to our management. Um, he's part of a community that I had built with a few friends called Plus Plus, about 60 up and coming producers. This guy I randomly got connected to and helped him out with a few things back in the day. One day he came to me, he was like, dude, these guys are looking for new clients. I think you guys would be a good fit. I'd love to introduce you. Bada bing, got in there, got our agent through that. The rest is history. The third tier of like community that people often ignore and it's really frustrating is people like newer than you or like less experienced, smaller follower count, whatever you want to call it. People that kind of need that help and where you can serve as a mentor. And the same reason as why as a men you can help a mentor, um, they can help you, right? So if you take on some time and help people that are trying to figure things out, they're going to remember that shit forever. And if they ever get to a point where they can help you, they're going to go way out of their way to do it. Um, so it's this constant cycle of just like people above you, people with you, people below you, helping each other, building that community. And that's really how you build like a very legitimate network versus just going out and asking for help all the time. You're actually building relationships, helping others, and then the help brings itself back to you. So I really, really strongly advise people to just be open, you know, communicate, network, whatever way you feel comfortable. The internet's really powerful now. You don't have to do it in person. I think in person helps a lot. Just find ways to, you know, become closer to the community that you're trying to enter and, and grow in. And luckily there's lots of resources out there. There's Discord, Reddit, um, things like that, where if you don't know anyone or you live in Kansas, for example, you could still find people. You don't have to be in LA.